0: Hello, I'm Nigel Short, director of Tenebrae, and you are listening to Signum Records podcast. No.
1: Bruckner's Locus iste performed by the world-renowned choir Tenebrae, and I'm delighted to be joined for today's podcast by their founder and director, Nigel Short. Hello. Where did the idea to record this repertoire come from?
0: Uh, numerous, really. Um, first of all, I sang a lot of this repertoire, especially the Bruckner pieces, as a boy, um, and then subsequently as a countertenor in uh, Westminster Abbey Choir, Westminster Cathedral Choir, And I also sang quite a lot of German romantic repertoire with the King Singers. We made an album called Nachtlied, um, which had some fabulous repertoire on it. But I have to say, it all sounded sort of slightly odd with Cam's Tenors, myself really being the main offender, uh, on the top line. And so I'm not sure how convincing it ever was, but the music was fabulous. And so I've always had a, a, a love of this romantic stuff. But our sound engineer Andrew Meller, who we, we've worked with for several years, um, suggested to us that we should be doing some German Romantic repertoire, some something that requires precision but really needs an awful lot of passion, which is, you know, our motto. Um, and I looked at some of this bigger repertoire, and Brahms included, and thought, yes, this is probably the time. And in fact, another reason for putting this project together was that Andrew lost his father just a few years ago to cancer and Tenebrae lost its co-founder Barbara Pollock to cancer in 2010 so the two of us wanted to put together a project from which the proceeds would go towards a cancer charity and we chose Macmillan Cancer Support UK.
1: That's a lovely idea and why do you think people are particularly drawn to German romantic repertoire?
0: All sorts of reasons. The, the the romantic harmonic language of these pieces is sometimes it's really complex, but it's done with such incredible uh, craftsmanship that even if you're not a musician, you can feel the effect of it. And it's uh, when it's performed really well, it, a bit like Bach. I think it you know it's not a scramble of lushness, all the rest of it. it. It has a clarity to it. And then it becomes something really very powerful because you 've got this ornate language and decoration, but it 's done with such you know careful precision in terms of balance and then all the sort of usual choral things of intonation and so forth
1: and the piece we 've just heard is locusiste it 's a piece that 's familiar to many people. Why do you think it 's so popular?
0: I think it's enduringly popular because of its simplicity it's only two pages long. It has sublime, easy phrases that you know I learned as a seven-year-old chorister and any choir can sing it. But even within those two pages, there's a huge scope, there's a huge range of uh, dynamic contrast and mood, mood swings, if you like. And I think that's a real strength of Bruckner's Motets is that there's a, there's a real strength from its simplicity. But he also gets incredible dynamic and harmonic contrast in in them.
1: That's quite amazing in just two pages to be able to achieve all of that. It is.
0: Imagine what he's like with three pages. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and you're actually giving One Lucky Choir the chance to perform with Tenebrae at the album launch concert on the 12th of November this year. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Yes. I mean, it, that's really come as a result of all our travels over the last 15 years. When I was with the King Singers, the most memorable concerts we did, we would do a lot of workshops and masterclasses with choirs, but the ones that really stand out in my memory are the ones where we got the kids up on stage singing with us, and that's exactly the same for Tenebrae. You know, we've done a lot of masterclasses, workshops, all kinds of things over the last 15 years, and every now and again um, there are a couple of pieces that we decide we're going to sing with this choir, and we've done some of that recently in schools, and it's been wonderful to watch uh, the kids reaction you know rather than saying you know there's there's tenebrae on stage you know have a listen to them aren't they wonderful now let's work with you we put them in amongst tenebrae and actually get them singing side by side just split them all up and uh, every now and again i will say okay tenors i want that big phrase from you listen to the tenebrae guys and you know to watch their jaws drop as they feel the the power of each of the individual voices, but then collectively, what what they can do, and then you just uh, embrace them in it, envelop them in it, and and get them swept up, and it and it's very very, um, you know, very arresting, and the effect it has on the kids and on on uh, on us too,
1: and it must be quite inspiring for them.
0: Yes, absolutely. We want to inspire any anyone that's interested in singing, uh, in whatever way we can, and I think. There's something very special about Tenebrae. We are defined by our special sound, if you like, and the kind of reaction we can create out of people. Um, And there's no better way of experiencing it than actually being right in amongst it or next to it. And that's another thing over the 15 years, is we've performed many concerts, and we move around the building and sing next to an audience. And time and time again, audience members will come up and say, you know, gosh, when the choir were moving right next to me, I couldn't I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. It was so electrifying. And it was, you know, so I think it's just a terrific way to pass on and communicate the the excitement of choral singing by getting people and especially youngsters singing right next to us.
1: That's wonderful. Um, you can find full details at their website, wwwtenebrae com. Well, we're recording this podcast in summer, which means that most people in the classical music world are hard at work on Christmas repertoire. Tenebrae's new Christmas album features a host of familiar names from the English choral world, but with a number of arrangements and compositions that might be new to a lot of listeners. How did this programme come about?
0: One of our patrons, Richard Baker, um, was a chorister at King's College Cambridge way back when Boris Ord was the director of music and he then went back to King's as an undergraduate and sang in a choir under Sir David Wilcox. And he and some of his friends over the last 40 years have always put on a concert after Christmas, actually an Epiphany concert, if you like, and they have each looked around for little carols that are less well-known but they think are really quite special and they've made up concerts. And these are from composers, some of whom aren't really that well-known, and some of the pieces uh, I don't think are even published. And he suggested to me we did a Christmas recording of this kind of repertoire and I have to say, you know, we've done two discs of Christmas music already. So I was, um, you know, a little apprehensive about doing another one and then I looked at the repertoire and thought, wow, there's a lot of new stuff here um, that will be terrific fun for us as performers, and I think if we if we're going to enjoy singing it, then people are going to enjoy listening to it.
1: And it might also be quite inspiring for other choirs who are looking for new repertoire around Christmas, who are a bit tired of the same um, exactly. repertoire going round and round.
0: Yes, exactly. And what's terrific is when you get some new and really characterful arrangements of but of well-known tunes and and my favorite one on this disc is simon preston's arrangement of i I saw three ships come sailing in and you know everybody knows the tune but he just has some outrageous harmonic shifts and it goes by you know like the wind it's very very quick and then he's got all sorts of cross rhythms in it so it's you know you can almost tap your foot to it but then you know he'll always put something in that sort of makes you sit back and think oh wow, that's a bit different. It's very exciting.
1: Really imagining the ships at sea, you know, with that tempo. Oh, they're
0: certainly rocking about, (laughs) if (laughs) if that's what comes to mind.
1: (laughs) What other pieces from the recording do you like? What are your preferences? Oh, well,
0: I like like all of them, actually. I mean, that's why I've chosen them. There are a lot of pieces that Richard gave me to go through. And there are some for personal reasons Simon Preston is one of them I sang in Simon's choir at Westminster Abbey I was the youngest ever appointed lay vicar to the choir of Westminster Abbey when I was 19 and Simon Preston was the director of music and whilst finding him kind of unbelievably inspirational he was also terrifying <laughs> but he had a, a big effect on, on my enthusiasm for choral music and I've always known he's a you know was a gifted choral trainer so my eyes were kind of opened in another way to his musical talent when I saw these pieces and these arrangements. There are three pieces by Simon on the disc, two of which are compositions, "There is no Rose" and "On Christmas Day," and then this arrangement. And they just embody the man, you know he was just a, a ball of energy and excitement and, you know, slightly outrageous at times, and a piece by Richard um The Birds. And I sang for Richard uh, many times in his choir and then latterly as a soloist and uh, went down to the indelin Festival that Richard conducted and we became good friends and uh, of course it was a, a terrible tragedy to lose him so soon, recently. And so it's just a, such a simple carol and he's arranged it perfectly, I think.
1: Well, let's have a listen to that. Here's Richard Hickox's The Birds. You founded Tenebrae after seven years performing with the King Singers. How did your experiences in that group inspire the formation of Tenebrae?
0: Um, I don't know if the time with the King Singers actually inspired the formation of Tenebrae, but once Tenebrae existed, once I thought, okay, this is what I want to do, the way we perform was uh, influenced by the King Singers, and that's in terms of its precision and its consistency, consistently singing at a... A very high level.
1: And has your view of what the choir's focus is changed at all since then?
0: No I don't think it has at all. Passion and precision is the motto and those are the two things that I think apply to the King Singers and they, they certainly apply to us. I mean I think personally speaking um, my ability to choose the repertoire and also steer the performances in exactly the way i want it means that you know from a selfish point of view it's it's more enjoyable than when i was with the king singers when i was just with a one equal sixth part of it and a bigger group of course nearly 20 singers means that we have a a very broad range of repertoire and a, a broad dynamic range so in that way you know it's slightly different to the king singers but i think just the king singers taught me the application in your music making needs to be totally committed all the time if you want to A, enjoy it yourself and take out the, the personal rewards but also make sure you're always communicating that love of, of what you do to your audiences and Tenebrae is no different in that respect.
1: You've also produced on a number of recordings including the next King Singers recording featuring works by Palestrina. What is it like listening to the next generation of King Singers and does it affect the way you hear and edit the music?
0: It was such fun going back and hearing that sound and working with it and hearing all the intricate detail that they work on. And it brought back lots of memories, but uh, my goodness, I mean, they, they are so brilliant. To be perfectly honest, I can't ever remember being as precise or just as polished as they were when they came along. So it was a quite an eye-opening um, feeling, really, to be on the other side of the fence listening to them. It was thrilling and just fabulous bunch of guys and a, an awful lot of fun. I don't think it makes me hear the music in, in a different way and certainly when it comes to editing, you know, these guys, they know exactly what they want to achieve with the music. So my my job as a producer is not to get involved with the music-making aspect of it. It's literally to sit there observe what the guys want to do and then I if you like have a judgment call as to whether or not they're achieving what they want to achieve so they talk to me about exactly what they want and then I I sit there as a sort of passive listener if you like and just it was terrific four days of just listening to those guys do their stuff I was in heaven it was the easiest four days work I've had in a long time (laughs)
1: The two discs we've discussed so far have covered works from the more well-known side of choral repertoire, but Tenebrae also have a commitment to commissioning and performing works by contemporary composers. Do you think it's important that choirs keep a balance between core works and new repertoire?
2: Yes,
0: absolutely. I know there are groups that exist who really do focus on contemporary compositions, and of course that's that's perfectly valid and and terrific. But I think for most choirs, a healthy balance and range of repertoire is a good thing. From a vocal point of view, if you're singing in a choir, I don't think you want to just always be doing one style and one style only. Uh, I mean, certainly speaking personally, I used to get slightly stuck in a in a rut vocally um, if you're in one style. And having the different technical challenges is actually a very healthy thing. Keeps your larynx in the right place and uh, means technically you're exercising everything you need to on a regular basis. So uh, yes, I would. I think it's good and you know pushing the boundaries with new works can never be a bad thing.
1: Returning to one of Tenebrae's earlier discs with Signum, would you like to introduce this clip from Joby Tolbert's Path of Miracles by telling us about the work?
0: The Path of Miracles by Joby um, was one of our earliest commissions and probably our, our most major commission that we've um, undertaken it's uh, an hour long in four movements and these are four posts of the Camino uh, de Santiago and it's a work I adore uh, it's like nothing else in the call repertoire uh, calls for all sorts of weird and wonderful um, technical things from the singers it's in 17 parts so you need 17 singers and At various points, they're all on their own. So you've got to have 17 very, very solid singers, um, vocally and musically speaking. And it is a journey, even a musical journey, that reflects, obviously, the the pilgrimage. The piece is in four movements, and the first movement tells uh, historically of uh, the journey of the body of St. James across the sea and how it ends up in Santiago. And the second movement uh, reflects the hardships, the physical hardships of the pilgrimage. And so, you know, when you've had the initial uh, euphoric start to your pilgrimage, you then sort of lapse into um, a regular pattern of walking where your mind drifts and sometimes you're sort of, you lose awareness of of what you're doing. And also you have physical um, nagging aches. And blisters. And so Joby introduced these dissonances, which just keep coming back. um, And it's very effective. And then the third stage is Leon. And um, he wrote these glorious lines that just cascade over each other and over over another part of the story. Um, And that reflects the light, the sunlight coming through the stained glass windows of Leon Cathedral. Um, And we had the, the luck to perform it there several years ago. And it was magical. And then the last movement um, is probably my favourite bit, is where you're descending from the hills and then you have your first view of Santiago. And it's just a a magical moment, uh, musically and the way Joby's set it. Um, And it never fails to get the, uh, the goosebumps going and the hairs on the back of my neck standing up.
1: I imagine that not many amateur choirs would be able to tackle that kind of work.
0: I don't know. I mean... I could see why amateur choirs might be a little bit scared of it. But, you know, there are such good amateur choirs around these days. I think um, good amateur choirs that have regular rehearsals could do it, could do it. um, And they'd have an awful lot of fun sort of experimenting with it. And it would broaden their horizons and improve their techniques in all sorts of ways. Um, But there's no doubt that it's a challenge, um, even for us, you know, even we are sort of you it's not a piece you can ever take for granted. it's absolutely full of traps, and we we perform several bits of it for memory um so that we can walk about whilst we're doing it, which presents its own difficulties and challenges um and there are traps absolutely everywhere uh but by the time you get to the end i mean it's it leaves um performers and audiences kind of breathless and uh, in in a heap. For all the right reasons. Then, the
2: of to the foot of Monte He did not come to the world, he I'm to
1: Aside from Tenebrae, you're kept pretty busy as a conductor with a number of different orchestras and ensembles, teaching and coaching choral music and also as a recording producer. When you have the time, what interests do you have outside music?
0: Well, time's a a rare commodity these days. Um, I have two young kids, Ella and Josh, and a wife, Grace, and we we don't spend nearly as much time together as we would all like, Um, so my time is mostly spent just trying to catch up with them and uh, keep pace with their busy lives, (laughs) basically becoming a taxi driver. I used to love doing a lot of sports, but uh, owing to various um, miscalculations, uh, I've had some nasty accidents, (laughs) probably because I'm not very good at the sports, um, with rugby, squash, golf and skiing. Uh, So my body isn't really up to doing many good sports these days but I do I do do a bit of all of those but in moderation and nothing competitive anymore but uh, yeah no, I'm a sort of armchair sportsman.
1: Since his formation in 2001 Tenebrae has won and been nominated for a number of different classical musical awards and I think remain the only artist to have been nominated twice in the same category for the BBC Music Magazine awards. Can you tell us a little bit more about Tenebrae's future recording plans?
0: The next two recordings uh, that are due to come out, uh, the first one is of music by Alexander Lestrange, uh, who's an old friend of mine, and uh, we had terrific fun putting that together. A couple of pieces that Tenebrae commissioned, My Song is Love Unknown, and uh, Loot Book Lullaby. And uh, we recorded the original version of that, which goes into about 12 parts back in 2003 on a disc called Mother and Child. And Alex has reworked it for fewer parts and with an organ part, so we've recorded that as well. And he's a, you know, sensational musician and very uh, varied in his uh, styles, um, but all laced with sort of you know uh, modern, dare I say, jazz harmonies, you know, lush, and it's just terrific fun. I, it's always a good sign at the end of a project when singers are nodding, saying, you know, loved every piece of that disc. And, and at the end of that, those three days, we were in exactly that position. Um, and yeah, some of it's with piano, some a cappella, some with organ—real uh, variety—and all of it very rewarding to sing. So looking forward to that. And the other one is music by um, an old King singers colleague of mine, Bob Chilcott, which is like a trip down memory lane. Uh, the the disc kind of falls into three different categories. Some of Bob's really early stuff, which he arranged for a close harmony group called The Light Blues um, when he was still an undergraduate at King's. And I think when he came to London, they carried on going. And quite a lot of those arrangements have never been published, although I think OUP are going to release a whole batch of them. And they're terrific fun, you know, just typical of a a young man full of energy. And then there's a, a sort of middle period where there are some King singers pieces and arrangements of course which i performed with bob um and then latterly there's some more compositions and one or two other arrangements and uh yeah it was wonderful taking a handful of the tenebrae singers which make up tenebrae consort and really working you know trying to find a way to make all the pieces work in exactly the same way that i did when i was with the king singers the only difference being that i wasn't singing camps tenor Uh, the the second part down in fact the two top parts are both taken by girls Uh, my wife Grace at the top and Joanna Alex (laughs) Alexander's wife um, on the second part down so it's nice to hear all those alto parts sung properly and in tune (laughs) for a change
1: Well thank you for joining us Nigel Would you like to set up this final clip from your BBC Music Magazine award winning recording of Victoria's Requiem Mass of 1605?
0: Uh, Yes my It's probably a piece that I'd like to have sung at my funeral by Alonso Lobo, and it's Versa Est in Luctum. And I think it's one of the most perfect pieces of uh, Renaissance music that I know of.
1: Signum Records podcast. For more information on Signum Records releases, go to signumrecords.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Spotify or follow us on Twitter at Signum Records.